0: Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, Look What Happened to My Pocket Change, Low to Middle Income Saving and Investing. And the author and the financial expert, we must listen to this lady, (laughs) is Rochelle Melanie. Hello, Rochelle.
2: Hi, see. Thank, thank you for having me again.
1: Well, great to have you with us. And as we were talking, you make a lot of sense to save even just a few cents. That's kind of how you started this whole process, and we'll find out more about those details. Uh, but I, I guess what I really want to point out at the beginning here is that uh, you're focused not on the wealthy or the rich. Uh, you're trying to help people, low to middle income individuals, uh, to have some kind of a saving and an investing approach, a, a guide, if you will.
2: Yes, that's correct.
1: Because that's your story. Yes, it is. So, take us back of how you came up with this. How did this come about? Uh, you know, this idea of of saving and investing, even if it's just a literally your pocket change to begin with
2: okay well actually um it started you know being raised in a middle income family and basically being provided with the things that we need as opposed to the things that we wanted so there was a lot of room for us to go out and try to obtain the things that we really wanted because they weren't given you know these things were not given to us um but basically I started off literally by saving pocket change um every time I made a purchase and I change I'd come in and put the change in a drawer and eventually after a year had passed um I accumulated accumulated a lot of change and I took it into the bank and opened a savings account and then from that and then from there after you know I established a savings account um working part-time jobs summer jobs I would I had about $10 per week every time I got paid, and it started to grow from there. Um, I was very happy back in the day when I reached a couple hundred dollars, and then my goal was to add zeros behind those dollars. So as I continued to work, I increased the amount that I was depositing into this account, and from there I started to look into other avenues of investing. Um, So from there I started to take the money from the savings accounts and get a little more aggressive. And I started purchasing savings bonds, United States savings bonds, which you can purchase at half the face value. And once they mature, um, they reach the full face value. So you're making an investment with only half and waiting till the time to mature, uh, you have double the amount. After the savings bonds, that market change in the expiration um the maturity dates increased on that, so I didn't see it viable um, anymore to to purchase. So I started buying mutual funds. And with the mutual funds, they grew a little faster. I'm starting to get into investments where it's not insured, but with the mutual funds, you have such wide diversification where, you know, within the mutual funds, if something is not doing well, uh, the other funds will kind of pick it up. And then I graduated from there, and I started uh, trading in the stock market. And after the stock market, uh, things got shaky a little bit after nine eleven. I started investing in real estate, and then I went to life insurance policies, annuities, and from there, you know, I just any I had a full portfolio by that time. But the facts still remain: it, it started with the pocket change, and it's all I could afford to save at the time.
1: Well, and that's the key. Whatever you can afford at the time, live within your means as you advocate. Uh, you have to sacrifice some, but you don't have to go completely without anything. I mean, you've got to take care of yourself. you, you may you, Right? I mean, you just don't have to live at a, at a higher level. Live at the level that you can afford. That's probably not understood today, isn't it? Because credit cards are so available.
2: Yes, yes, yes they are. And I I didn't, even though I I was saving, I didn't go without anything um, because the the small amount, you know, that I was saving, of course it takes a little longer to accumulate, but at the same time I made sure that I had all the necessities, the bare necessities of life that I needed to sustain, you know, a, a natural living. And from there, you know, increased as my salary increased, as I got bonuses and things like that. But I did take advantage of a lot of rebates and coupons and just, you know, a lot of options out there.
1: You decided to do a survey, and that survey with your well-to-do friends was really shocking.
2: Yeah, I I did. I had, at the time, a lot of friends um, that made twice the amount that I did at this time, um, a lot of my friends, they probably made over six figures, and I recall during the survey over the weekend, and I, I kind of asked um, if these individuals would, if they had an emergency, if they were able to come up with 10 or 20,000, you know, in the event of emergency. And none of them would be able to do that and it just kind of puzzled me because these individuals do. They they make twice the amount that I did and it's something that I would have been able to come up with. So that's another reason why, you know, I did the book. Even though they were at a higher income bracket, my net worth was much higher and, you know, I just found it interesting. Once again, you know, the fact that I made half of the amount, half of the salary that they made. So that was one thing. Another reason, that i did write the book is the passion to inform individuals loaded middle-income individuals that you know they, they can save it, it doesn't matter the amount you make or the amount you don't make because you can start off small and eventually you know you end up big so that was another thing just to inform people that it's not as difficult as the wealthy make it you know, out to be
1: saving for that rainy day you never know when you're going to need extra cash Exactly. Makes so much sense, as we've already said, and uh, you have lived it, you're living it, and you're trying to show people in a guidebook, if you will, this book, Look What Happened to My Pocket Change, how that could help them. Now, what makes your book unlike others? You know, a lot of books written uh, on this uh, area
2: okay well i, I think uh, my book is it differs simply because it, there's a lot of books out there that try to teach you how to obtain wealth and mine is pretty much a step by step guide you know it has uh, detailed instructions and things like that um also my book it's it's a short read it's it's not convoluted it it's um strictly to the point, point. and also I integrate other things um relates to building wealth, organization in life, good work ethics, you know, at work, um, and creativity, um, workout, physical state, all of these things. I I talk about the difference between the loan stores and banks, the advantages, disadvantages. You know, so I I know a lot of the books, they don't focus on all these. And and coupons, rebates, um, credit, the importance of maintaining proper you know your credit history so there's there's a lot of different things in here
1: we all know that we need to work hard uh to get ahead often that's what people just think well we just have to work hard but you're just adding on some practical again common sense if you will that you gotta save and invest if you're going to create some financial wealth or financial stability let's just call it that yeah. right financial stability
2: Yes, yes, I agree, and it, it you can work hard, um, but working hard at a job, I, I think that allows most people to pay their bills and take a vacation um, without the saving, and investing to get ahead. It's 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 tough. It's difficult.
1: Well, you have a lifestyle now that is probably surprising to even yourself uh, today. The way you started out in such a in a very simple lifestyle, but now, you know, you can do things that most people can't do.
2: Uh, yes, yes, yes. And the thing about it, I mean, it, it wasn't, um, it's not something that happens overnight, but it wasn't anything that was difficult, Um I don't know, we talk about finances and um, the nuances that's involved around finances. People try to, I don't know, they, they get um, disconcerted when they think, you know, talking about numbers and things like that. But um, it could be a, a simple process, you know, starting off small, um, trying to end up big. Uh, it takes some time, but it can be done.
1: Are mutual funds something that we should learn about and, and become uh, an expert in?
2: Well, you know, I, I I did a lot of things with the stock market. As we know, there's no investment that's risk free. Um, uh, and mutual funds I particularly like those and when I'm talking to individuals that have no experience in investing and I get a lot of times people want to go strictly to the stock market and the stock market it's a risky investment if you don't know or if you're not accustomed to investing in a stock market. Mutual funds, I like those because they're a pool of stocks um, and they're not individual stocks and they kind of support each other. And also with the mutual funds, they have fund managers that kind of look out of the funds. So if you're not a savvy investor or if you're just getting into them, I, I like the mutual funds because they do have the fund managers and it's not... The individual stocks, it's, you know, a combination of stocks. And if you have some stocks within that mutual fund that's underperforming, you have stocks that can be overperforming. So it kind of balances out. And it's a little less riskier. It's it's not risk-free, but it's less risk than actual investing in the stock market.
1: You detail techniques for wise investing. You detail the, the techniques for getting organized. And you also talk about smart Borrowing now help us expand on that some more. Smart borrowing.
2: Well, when you're looking, uh, a lot of time we, we mentioned the credit cards. A lot of people um, in the credit cards, they have the the interest rates can be astronomical, um, and so you need to look at the interest rate on the credit card because some people do use credit cards um, when they need advances. Um, Also, we have a lot of individuals in, in, in dire need. They go to these loan stores, and I do think that the loan stores kind of prey on the less fortunate because people come in and they're desperate. It's, you know, in a time of need and the interest rates are pretty high, you know, 26, 29. I've even seen 32%. And when you're looking to borrow money, it's important to maintain the good credit history because therefore, you can go to a bank and get a decent loan or you can negotiate from a credit card to get a decent loan versus a loan store. So I think um, we should be cautious and I know there's times when, you know, Person is in dire need, and that's the only option they have so I, I talk a little bit about that preparing yourself if you will you know may have to do a loan so you can be in a better situation where you don't have to go to a loan store. you can actually go to a bank or negotiate something on a credit card.
1: What about life insurance? Uh, we hear so many advertisements about term life, and then there's a whole life uh Help us understand how we can invest with life insurance.
2: Okay. Well, most uh, low-to-income, I would say uh, low-to-middle-income individuals, and not even that, most of us see life insurance as a premium, a policy that's paid out on the death of the insured. Uh, Whether well, it's term life, you know, that's for a certain term and it's going to be cheaper. Then you have whole life, which, you know, uh, a little bit higher, but it doesn't end at a specific term. But we have annuities, which you can buy insurance policies and actually you can buy these and at a certain age, you turn 65, these annuities can be paid out to you. You can be the annuitant. And a lot of people don't know about that. They just, like I said, view life insurance policies as something that's payable upon the death of the insured, and that's not not the case. Getting into life insurance is a little more difficult, not really difficult, but it's a little more involved than just um, investing in the stock market or mutual funds.
1: We've been talking with Rochelle Melanie, her book, Look What Happened to My Pocket Change, Low to Middle Income Saving and Investing, Rochelle, what's the best way? What's the best way to get your book?
2: Uh, you know, it's available on my website, which is www.rmelanie.com, and it's um, M-E-L-A-N-I-E. Or it can also be purchased through iUniverse or Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble's. Uh, pretty much any online retailer around the world.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us on iUniverse Radio.
2: All right, thank you for having me.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on togynet.com. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with
0: Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse
4: Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is Catherine and the Hidden Treasure. The author Chris T. Larson joins me from Utah. Welcome, sir, to the program.
5: Thank you. Good to be on on with you.
4: Our uh, prior conversation before I start the the recording, I uh, I found out that you are just an individual who loves to write and have written probably uh, nine or ten books, not all of them published, but this is a passion of yours. Where did the concept or the idea, the storyline come together on Catherine and the Hidden Treasure?
5: Oh, you know, I, like I said, I had written several books, and I, I just wanted to write something that was uh, that was that made you feel good, a, a good story, not necessarily uh, Pollyannish, but something that was positive. And uh, I always... You know, I've been to New York a few times and I always wanted to write something in that setting and I also have always kind of been fascinated with America. You know, this this book covers the time period. Actually, it's a woman's life and it's written in the first person and it kind of covers her life and, and through a lot of America's critical history, starting really about the time of the Great Depression and then, She's a teenager, a young woman, uh, when World War II breaks out, and uh, all through the book, you know, because it's in the first person, she will always start the chapter by telling you what's happening. It's this year, and and this is happening, and these new products came out. There's a new soda for children called Seven Up. Mm -hmm. Uh, A new product came out called Ritz Cracker, something like that. But then she gets back to the storyline. The 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 main um the 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 treasure search so to speak yeah it's it's a walk through history somewhat so anyway it was just you know it just something i just worked on the storyline for a while and 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 i didn't i didn't hurry i really wanted to develop something that would be interesting at one point in time the book goes you know travels to paris and there's uh and and just you know some different places but most of the time it's it's around um new york and it's taking place um you know at different time periods uh the book starts out you know she's she's actually an elderly woman and she's with her daughter and her grandchildren and and she's out for christmas eve in new york city
1: Mm. and she
5: ends up at grand central station and this begins to bring back all these memories and then she begins to tell her story and, and about uh basically there's a love story involved or even more than one love story and and uh she meets this uh through, through by working at her father's business she she meets a very rich young man who is his father is a wealthy man and they live in the hamptons and and she she a natural love affair occurs between these two and they're they're looking forward to getting married and um he has a real strong patriotic uh, vein running through him, and he, as many at that time when when World War II broke out, many felt like you know they had to go and do their duty. You know, it was uh, it wasn't you know, it, you know many went voluntarily. You couldn't even wait to go fight to defend the country and mm. and what was going on. And her uh, her very rich boyfriend decides that he has to do that.
4: And his name is Robert Collins, correct?
5: Yes, that's correct. And so. Um, But he's got, you know, like I said, his his father owns a factory in the Hamptons, and uh, so he's he's got a lot of money that he's put away from various endowments, you know, rich aunts, whatever, have given him. He's got about $20,000, and uh, he gets thinking that if something happens to him, he doesn't want that just to go back to his own family. He'd Mm -hmm. like to give it to Catherine. But being a, of a playful nature, he decides that he's going to hide this money somewhere ah. where it's fair, he believes it's fairly safe and where Catherine can find it. And he wants her to basically go through these clues and find it before he gets back. And, of course, in the event that he doesn't come back, you know, then she'll have it. But uh, And he thinks it's not going to be that hard for her to, to do, but... Uh, not to give away too much of the plot or what happens, but um, Catherine will pursue this, this this treasure, and that that <laughs> is Certains the hidden treasure. Circumstances will come about hmm. that she really needs to pursue the treasure, and and so you know this money that he's put away, and and so she she will do that. And um, well, Chris, that's, you, that's 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 basically you
4: have a very vivid bet. imagination, and uh, it also had to had to have involved some research because of the historical references you make in your book how long did it take to complete when you uh, finally were done with the editing and done with the storyline and the plot line
5: oh i would say you know I, I was uh i was working full-time as a cost analyst and uh, i'm a certified public accountant and i have an mba i was working uh, negotiating contracts for the air force and um so it was all done as a hobby, but I would do, you know, I would dedicate, you know, certain, try to try to get in so many hours a week, but um, I kind of, you know, naturally obsessed when I'm writing and what most writers do, they will obsess with a story. And even when they're not thinking about it, the mind is do, thinking about right. it. And so just uh, over time, you know, and ideas would come to me and how I could improve it in this, different ways. And I actually... Finished the first draft in about 2010, and just set it aside. And then, uh, just um, my wife, she uh, she came, she was diagnosed with uh, frontal temporal dementia. She began to have signs of that in 2010, or in 2009. And so, I just uh, I ended up. Uh, I didn't get a I didn't get a retirement as a result of her illness, but I got a retirement because the Air Force was offering early out retirements to lighten its load, and so that gave that gave me more time to uh, go back, you know, while I was taking care of her, and and I could I could work on the story, and so I did a major uh, rewrite, whatever you want to call it, in in twenty in twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen, and then that's when I went to a university universe for it to be published so
4: did you work off of an outline or was this all creative process that you uh, used? yeah
5: I definitely work off an outline and I you know I know I have known people who say they just start writing and let the story take
4: very them, unusual yes
5: take them where it goes you know where it seems to go I've always even though you know i it may take me a long time to to affect the outline and I might make changes to the outline during the writing process still, I, I, I've got to know where it's going to go, and, and to me that works much better than just you know, I, I've i tried the other side, and it ends up you know, I don't connect things as well if I do that, you know it ends up more of a ramble, but I know there are people that can do it, and, and that's fine if that works for them, I'm a person who likes to have walls around things, you know? Right. you know a certain amount of structure in that, even though, you know, people who have read this book, they they say that I did put in there some totally unforeseen twists in the story, and that that they really liked the fact that I did that. There, you know, it's it's not a the predictability isn't high as you get into the first chapter. So exactly where this is going to go, and that really would be impossible. And there'll be several subplots that'll work through the book as well. With uh, you know, Catherine will eventually have some children, and, and just different things, and 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 different things that take place. You know, there there are lots of you know different things working inside the story
4: when you uh, began to write this did you have a particular audi- audience in mind is this for a younger audience older audience how would you describe your your ideal reader
5: i would just say you know not not like not like youth but although you know some young people read it and liked it but uh i would just say anybody from you know say late teens you know on out and uh because it does cover the woman's whole life, and I, I really wanted to. I talked about the time frame that it takes place, and I, I really wanted to reflect in the story, um, the values of America and how over time they have changed, and how Catherine and her, her family, what what kind of values you know they held as. As Americans in those days, like I said, you know the willingness to quickly go to war and, and volunteer, Correct. and everybody's got to go do their duty, kind of a thing. Um, just you know, through through when Woodstock happened, and they didn't live far from there, and 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 you know, she, Catherine had such different standards, and were taking place, you know, the people skinny dipping Woodstock in different mm-hmm. things. you know, mm-hmm. and so it just kind of you 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 get a sense for. The changes in, in in America and kind of its values over time, as well as you go through the story. Of course, Catherine, you know, she like I said, she's raised uh, during the Great Depression, and she has very strong Judeo-Christian values, and and those are always. It's not a preachy book, and she never, you know, gives any type of a religious sermon, so to speak. But her life speaks those kind of values, and that's what I tried to do, and just just to give people an idea that, you know, there was a time when just about everybody, you know, tried to live in a, in, a, in what we used to call a normal family. Right. You know, uh, an Aussie and Harriet or a, or Leave it to Fever, you know, where you had a mom and a dad, and, and most of the women did stay home and take care of the family, and most of the dads were able to provide for their family, you know, with their career, and not to criticize anything, because, you know, uh, the necessities come about that more women had to enter. The workplace basically to to maintain just a basic family lifestyle, it just became more difficult for unless a man had a really good education, it became more difficult for them to be able to make a single living that would provide for the family. So but basically, it, uh, it just goes it just tracks through time o- over those years. You just see the changing values in America and 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 what they were back in those days. Really want to present to. To people who have only grown up in this, you know, maybe since maybe they were born in 1960 or 70, or even 1980, mm-hmm. to, to to go back and read those, you know, th- maybe they've been on this planet 30 years and and all they've known is you know what's happened, you know, since say 1975 or, or 1985, and they're really not aware of what that what that uh, more simple life was in those days and and. And, uh, you know, when, when real patriotism, too, you know, I'm, I, patriotism is projected by a lot of people these days, but in those days, you know, you proved your patriotism, you just didn't express your patriotism kind right. of a thing. Did, it, it contains basic, or what, what we used to call the... The basic original American values and traditions, so to speak. It, did,
4: did you include you know, any any without action? About being
5: critical of of changes that have come about.
4: Did you include any action scenes in 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 your novel, or is this uh, primarily character driven? And is that the the result of uh, what a reader is going to find?
5: There are there are some action scenes in there. There are some surprise things, and you know, just scuffles, <laughs> a few scuffles. Yeah. Things, things like that that you just wouldn't, you know, wouldn't expect. But uh, you know, the, it's basically the suspense. You know, it's it, it, there's the suspense of Catherine looking for the treasure, and actually, you know, she's looking in different places. She's not just looking around some house or something that may be part of it. But she's looking, and he was very clever in in different places that he. That he took her to, that they spent time together, and she will end up, you know, trying to find clues to this treasure in, in botanical gardens or in, you know, different places where they went. Where she'll what it what what he did is he told her that the clue to where the treasure was hidden was somewhere in it was from a gift that he had given her. Well, he had given her several gifts. He had given her locket. He had given her chocolates he had given her clothing different things and so she's got these gifts and she's trying to figure out from these gifts that robert gave her where this where he may have put this treasure and so those are the things that she ponders that give her the give her the ideas of where she might look and and again there are different venues and there's different suspenseful things that takes place when she goes to each of those venues you know she's, she's not always uh you know, it's, you know it's you have to read the book to see what I mean, but <laughs> but uh, she will she will go to these different places, and sometimes you know, um, I, I don't want to give away too much about you know how much time passes as she looks or whatever, but uh, incidents will happen at those at those different venues, and so it's that that in that way there there is action, and but mostly you know suspense, and and I think the most people read the book, you know like i say it'll cover a lifetime and and what they'll get from it is what a, what a real life is about because as much as we we all want to you know have a, a a smooth life where we get you know we we have a family we raise our kids we have a job a good job all of these things happen what really ends up happening is life you know illness happens uh, job loss happens um Real trials come about in people's lives. Someone, you know, uh, someone's goes to jail in the family or something like that. Someone that does something, and it's kind of it's kind of a way she reacts to these trials. You know, I mean, I mean, it's it's she has real reactions of sorrow and frustration and all of these things that happen. But the you know the thing about it is you know she just has this attitude you know that she doesn't become bitter and she doesn't ever give up. She just keeps moving forward and so that there's, there's that story that kind of carries the storyline along and that's
4: that's really the underlying message too is that uh, don't give up keep trying and and uh, you'll get to your goal
5: yeah and the fact that you know your attitude about about what happens to you means everything about how, what your life will be like after that you know if you if you you know if she she early on in the story she will something will happen to her and she will she will kind of express some bitterness toward god and 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 she's with her mother and and you know her and it just and from then on you know she 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 learns she begins to learn about what's life you know and and what 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 do you take away from life and and you know as it moves along and she discovers how quickly life moves along and these trials and she just takes on that attitude that, you know, what's really important and what really isn't all that important. Really what it boils down to. And, and she will, she will comes through with the right perspective about, you know, in the end, you know, you may, uh, you may have gained much. You may have lost much or everything. But, you know, what has it done to you? What is all of the effect of all these events? What have they created in you? what, what is your character the same are you more compassionate because you've had to struggle on your, you know, you've had to struggle for struggle through all of these different trials and you, and you, you have more empathy for people who are going through, through hard things. Um, you, you know, do you freak out because certain things happen or do you, do you learn to kind of roll with the punches and, and, and always look for that silver lining that, you know, something good skill could come out of this. And, and you know, so well, that kind of thing. I, l- you know, I love it's, the
4: it's... I love the premise of your book and and the story. Of course, uh, really has uh, an intriguing concept behind it. The title again is Catherine and the Hidden Treasure. Uh, had me totally. Uh, you have me spellbound just listening to the uh, basic plot concept, and the author Chris T. Larson, who has joined me from Ida uh, from I'm sorry from uh, uh, from um, Utah, Utah, yes, thank almost you. Idaho. Almost Idaho. Uh, Chris, <laughs> pretty, we're, we're pretty we're,
5: far north. We're, we're almost. We're, where can miles. we? Where
4: can we get a copy of your book?
5: Uh, you you can order it on Amazon, and you can order it on Barnes and Noble, and uh, you can get it in either Heartbound or paperback. And uh, there are some customer reviews out on Amazon. You can you can read some some real uh, responses from people who have read the book, and so. It is available out there, and you can order it directly from my universe as well.
4: Excellent. Uh, are the characters in here? Do they have uh, any standing? Is there a possibility of a sequel to this book, or are you heading in another direction on the next one?
5: Yeah, I would definitely heading hit, or heading in another direction. I'm. I've actually. Uh, I kept a journal of this. This six years that my wife has been ill and. Mm and all of our experiences and, and what the emotional side of taking care of her. She hasn't even been able to talk to me for oh. over a couple of years. And so that's, that's my next, I've been working on that, and I have a few hundred pages written. And so eventually, you know, I, I will probably pursue uh, at least sharing that with the family, if not trying to have it published on a, on a broader basis.
4: Well, our thoughts are with you on that uh, journey that you're under as well. And uh, congratulations on the completion of this particular book that you're sharing with the world, Catherine and the Hidden Treasure, our guest, Chris T. Larson. Thank you, Chris, for joining me today and sharing your story.
5: Thank you, Jay. I enjoyed it. I appreciate you as well.
4: For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with
4: host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Second Greatest Baseball Game Ever Played. And our author who joins me from the east coast of the United States, I believe it's North Carolina, is Drew Bridges. Welcome, sir, to the program. North Carolina. I knew it was North Carolina. I just thought I would check to see if you were awake over there, sir. Thank you for joining me today, Drew.
6: Happy to be here.
4: This uh, back of your book talks about the Brooklyn Dodgers and the defeated New York Yankees in the seventh game of the 1955 World Series. That was considered to be the, the greatest baseball game ever played. You talk about the second greatest baseball game ever played. Share your observations on why this book got written and a little of the title.
6: Well, so the uh, the Dodgers-Yankee game you mentioned is my take on the greatest baseball game ever played, but the hook of the book is that you get to decide what you think is the greatest baseball game ever played, and I won't argue with you, but I will insist on what is the second greatest baseball game. That was a baseball game I played in when I was 10 years old and Hildebrand. North Carolina, Western North Carolina, a game that my dad organized for 10- to 14-year-olds, and it was a key moment in the founding of Little League Baseball in that community.
4: Phenomenal. This is biographical in nature, then, and the story that you have penned is 154 pages. Is this your first book, Drew? No, it's my third. Your third book. Your other books, what did they deal with? Were they also nonfiction?
6: one was, about, one was a novel dealing with a young man's search for secrets in his family, and the other was a book about storytelling.
4: Interesting. You uh, have not always been an author. You have another uh, professional background in addition to being an author. Did you want to share any of that uh, story, and how did that, how did that fit into this story that you've told on the second, base, second greatest baseball game ever played?
6: Well, originally I was an English major, and then I lost my nerve about being able to earn a living as an English major, so I went to medical school and ended up practicing psychiatry for almost 40 years. Now I'm in the process of retiring and restoring myself as an English major.
4: Incredible. The story that you have penned about your life and the baseball game that impacted your life, how long did it take to, to go back? to that particular day, and uh, recall all of the events associated with the story.
6: Well, the process here was that when my father died in 1997, I found myself in possession of uh, about 100 letters that he wrote to my mother from World War II, Italy, 1944-45. And as I read the letters, I always knew I was going to do something with them but I really had to scratch my head about how to make it into a real story. What I ended up doing was taking 16 of the letters where the main content was what he wanted his life to be like when he got back home. I contrasted that with my knowledge of what his life was like when he got back home and told this uh, soldier-come-home-from-war story um, from from that uh, point of view.
4: There are some lessons, life lessons, that also come out in your book. Obviously, what do you feel is the life lesson that is paramount in the story that you tell?
6: Well, my father's life started out uh, somewhat difficult. He um, he ended up in an orphanage by the time he was ten years old, and um, that was <laughs> to to say how bad this was. That was some of the best time of his life when he was in the orphanage. Mm. And then you know his journey carried him through uh, being a soldier, and uh, <clears throat> then coming home from war and making a real contribution to the lives of people in his community. So if there's if there's a lesson, is that a uh, otherwise somewhat everyday ordinary man who didn't have a great start in life can can end up making a real contribution <clears throat> to the lives of others. Your your life doesn't have to be uh, destroyed or ruined by a really tough beginning.
4: Did he have a, a, a what would be termed a a, a a well-educated career, or was it a, a standard everyday? Go to work in the morning, come home, and and uh, be a dad at he, night.
6: He was uh, he was actually the night shift foreman in a bakery uh, in the cake department for oh. his entire working life. Incredible which gave him freedom during the day to coach baseball. Um, don't know when he slept.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that is a challenge in itself. I, I don't do well with night work, and uh, that is, that's an amazing accomplishment to, to consistently and efficiently carry out a career like that. When you began to write this, who did you hope to reach with this message, this story?
6: I think there are several what I would call natural markets for this book. First of all, I think anyone who enjoys reading your basic baseball book is going to enjoy this because it does tell the entire story of a six-inning Little League baseball game, every pitch, every out. Um, It's also, as I said, you know, a soldier come home from war story, you know, from Homer's Odysseus to Today's Wounded Warrior, The Soldier Come Home to Build a Life Beyond War, is, uh, is, is one of the oldest uh, stories ever told or ever, written, ever lived. So if, if you like those stories, I think you'll like this book. Uh, it's also a father-son memoir, and it's also very southern. If you speak uh, rural south, you I uh, think you'll enjoy some parts of this book.
4: The way you write also is conversational, and uh, it's not fictional in its style, but it has that, that element of it. It's not um, hard facts. It's, it's a story that's been weaved throughout your book. Uh, the first paragraph that I noticed, you uh, begin it like this. I walked out of my third grade class into a lovely springtime day in 1957, and I heard someone call my name. Hey, Drew, wait up a minute, will you? And you go into this dialogue between other characters in the story. Uh, that pulls me into the action. Is there an action scene that you have included in here in addition to the relationships that you are building?
6: Well, that scene actually literally took place. That was three boys in the community who were looking for a way to get to Hickory to play Little League Baseball. And mm. their interest in me was the fact that my dad drove a Ford Woody station wagon. <laughs> And that station wagon was their only hope to get to Hickory to play Little League Baseball. And that's, that's the way it all started.
4: Was there some self-discovery in, in completing this book? Did you maybe uncover some things you hadn't really thought of in many years?
6: Well, my, um, as, I, as the book says, this is my father's soldier-come-home-from-war story. It's, it's the life he wanted, and it's the life he got, and when I read his letters, I didn't recognize that man. <laughs> mm. uh, he changed a lot from the time he came home to the time I was able to have memories about him. Um, I guess having five kids can change your hopes and dreams, um, but he made the best of it, and he uh, he made a real contribution to those around him.
4: And how would you introduce this story to someone that uh, doesn't know that you're an author but meets you at the local coffee shop and finds out you've actually penned a book? What would be your capsule, capsulization of the story itself?
6: I would say would you enjoy reading a soldier-come-home-from-war story that is about baseball and takes the form of a psychological memoir.
4: Is there one scene in here that you think is going to grab the reader more than others?
6: Well, I'm having a hard time picking out one particular scene, but uh, uh, there, there's actually a scene I wish I had written that I didn't read, that I, that I remembered after the book. Hmm. And it was when my, uh, my father was trying to talk the local principal into letting him use the high school baseball field. And the principal was giving all kinds of uh, excuses why that was a bad idea. One being, "Who's going to buy the gloves for all these boys?" And my dad' response was, uh, "Mr. McNeely, you you might not understand the families in this community quite as well as as you as you should, because if you did, you'd know that there's three things that every family in this town has. They have a Bible, they have a rifle, and they have a baseball glove. (laughs) Wonderful. A wonderful
4: story, wonderful reflection of uh, your dad. I'm sure that it uh, brings joy to you, and it should bring a lot of joy to the readers as well. Were there some challenges in getting this completed?
6: You know, the hardest part of it was writing the baseball part, because I wanted to write this for people who didn't necessarily understand or appreciate baseball that much, so I did I did a good bit of trying to explain why I think baseball is the most interesting game, despite some beliefs to the contrary. So I wanted to write it for people who, who might not understand the mechanics of catching a fly ball or understand what signs are, but I also didn't want to make it I didn't want to over-explain it and bore the real baseball enthusiast. So finding that middle ground between uh, explaining and over-explaining, was uh, I spent a lot of time on that.
4: Is the primary focus 1957? Is that the time frame of this story?
6: Well, each chapter begins with a letter from Italy, so... There is one time frame of 44, 45, 1944 45. Uh, but the rest of the action uh, is based in the mid-50s.
4: You've described your book uh, as, in one respect, or at least given this insight, that in imperfect and most ordinary ways, man can have a profound and positive influence on the lives of others. So you don't have to be perfect, is what you're sharing in your story
6: correct and um <clears throat> the book uh has an uh an ending of a uh, a testimonial by another boy in town who who lived some of this uh, um who gave a speech at one of his uh, high school reunions about my father that, that I didn't even know about until uh, Gary my friend uh, uh, wrote to me and told me about this so uh, so his his influence uh, um, impacted a lot of people.
4: Phenomenal story, and it must have been a joy once it was completed to look back and see what your father had accomplished. The title of the book, again, is The Second Greatest Baseball Game Ever Played. Our author, Drew Bridges, has, no, has joined us from North Carolina. Drew, where can my listeners get a copy of this wonderful work?
6: The book is available in all formats, on the major online booksellers, uh, iUniverse, uh, also Amazon and Barnes & Noble, or if you want to make a trip to North Carolina and come by the bookstore that I run, I'll give you a signed copy. I own and operate a bookstore as part of my uh, restoring myself to English major status.
4: Drew, you mentioned the bookstore, but uh, you didn't give us the name of the store or where it's located.
6: I... I um, own and operate a one of these small, independent bookstores that doesn't make any money, um, along with my lovely wife, Lauren, in the town of Wake Forest, North Carolina, near Raleigh. It's called the Storyteller's Bookstore.
4: Phenomenal. Drew, you have a charming story that you've written and a fascinating uh, present and past Love the the concept of your book, and the uh, content are wonderful. Again, the story, the second greatest baseball game ever played. Drew Bridges has been my guest. Thank you, sir, for joining me and sharing your story.
6: It's been a pleasure.
4: For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker.
0: iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.